What's up, everyone? Gary here, and welcome to Hop Talk, a hopped podcast where we sit down and talk craft beer with some of our friends and really interesting people in the local Southern California beer industry. In this episode, I'm chatting with Sam Tierney, the head brewer over at The Propagator, Firestone Walker's R&D brew pub in Venice, California. This SoCal outpost for the Legacy Brewery is celebrating their six-year anniversary this month, and I took this opportunity to let Sam reflect on the last six years of The Propagator, how things have evolved since year one, and all the exciting stuff they have going on lately, and what we as craft beer drinkers can expect out of the Venice location going forward. We also dig into the latest Propagator release, Gen 6, their anniversary double IPA collab with El Segundo Brewing Company. And as is natural, anytime you're sipping on an 8.6 percenter, we meandered, we got off track, and we had some fun along the way. If you're listening to this when the episode drops, head over to Venice and pick up a four-pack of Gen 6. It's tasting really damn good, by the way. And check out their anniversary party on April 30th, where they'll be partying with a DJ, special barbecue menu, games, giveaways, and as always, some of the best craft beer produced in California. Okay, that's it. Listen in on my chat with Sam Tierney of Firestone Walker. Well, okay, I have two beers here. Like, so they're both looking good, and I want to try them both before they like come down yeah, and temp too yeah, much. Yeah. So I looked at the Maybach on your left. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Slightly darker. Yeah, it's got, and it's got this like silkier thing going on to it too. Like compared to this one, it's like a little yeah. bit more. That's all German malt. You can tell that foam is really is creamier. Yeah, it's creamier. Little, That's little bit, yeah. There you go. A little tighter. Yeah, um, and the way it clings to the yeah. glass too is like it's that decoction match. It's really it helps nice. a little bit. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though I sometimes when I'm troubleshooting foam, I I think like we need to look at our detergent we use in our dishwasher and maybe you know because we rinse the glasses, but yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you go to a brewery and they got great foam and I'm like, is it really all from the brewery or is this really as simple as like your dishwasher, you know, you use a different detergent or something? Oh, that's really nice. It tastes like springtime. Yeah. It's a little hoppier. We like basically give it the hot bill of, of a Pilsner, like mm-hmm. approach it like it was Pivo or something like that, basically yeah. with that kind of intensity. And then the malt bill is like a blend of, um, uh, Munich, a little bit of Munich. And then, sorry, the main base is Pilsner in Vienna and it's all from Weyermann, all German malt. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, single decoction, which is basically what we can do on the brewery here. So nothing too intense, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of give it normal, our kind of normal auger program here, which is not a super long augering time. Um, but you know, I hope that's, that's kind of been my thing here is like, I can't, you know, I've got four tanks. I can't take forever to make augers. So I have to focus on everything else to like make that, to get to that end goal without right. just sitting forever, you know? Yeah. So I'll really focus on the fermentation and making sure it's a super clean fermentation. And then, you know, we use biofine to, you know, get the yeast out so that we're not, you know, it's like some water brewers are like, well, I'm just going to sit for two months. And then the yeast eventually, yeah, it drops out in two months, but you know, I don't have that luxury. So right. I don't know. They're not the most someday we get more tanks, you know? Yeah. Maybe we'll do longer lagering yeah know. you're just but, you're, you're helping it along yeah essentially but, you know lager brewers are so into talking about how long they lager these days and it's right. kind of funny it's just become the new thing it's like oh it's ddh it's like you know double lager yeah you know, it's kind of thing ddh so, low and but, slow slow as possible yeah yeah <laughs> let the yeast do its thing 
Yeah. Don't disturb it. Exactly. Um, cool. Well, I'm going to dig into that beer in particular in a little bit, um, just because it kind of fits along. I mean, something I'm interested in, what I'm seeing here in Venice. But the reason why, you know, we're here today, Gen 6 just packaged up. We're about to celebrate six years here in Venice. Like, I mean, you haven't been here brewing the entire time, but from what you have observed here from before you started and then since you've been here, like, I mean, give me a sense for how this place has evolved, like the vision for it from year one to like what things are looking like here in year six. So when we opened, I think we were just trying to figure out what this place was going to be. And I was up in Paso. Yeah. And so I was kind of on that side, kind of seeing how we were figuring it out and just learning to run a small brewery was kind of a, a new project for us after never having a pilot brewery. So it took a lot of like figuring out how it was all going to work, you know, just the simple stuff from like, okay, how are we going to get the raw materials here? And how are we going to work out the recipes and how much input are we going to have, um, as the, you know, the brewers up in Paso versus, you know, whoever's down here, how much autonomy are they going to have and how's that whole system going to work? And then that evolved, you know, over several years, um, over the course of three head brewers at this location now, basically taking that on, you know, and then also staffing, you know, once we realized that, Oh, you know, you need more than one person to run a brewery like this, you know, one person can't do everything all the time or else they're way overstretched. So then you have to get uh, an assistant brewer in. And then at first, you know, we had multiple assistant brewers. We basically went to the bar and said, okay, who's interested in being an assistant brewer part-time <laughs> in addition to being a bartender. And we had a few people step up that were interested and it's pretty cool how that actually worked out because um, a couple of those guys are now brewers up in Paso and they, kinda, right. they made that jump and they decided that that's what they want to do. And this is how they got into it. So that's really cool. Um, and then basically, yeah, then the, the one that stuck with it, Val, she made the jump to being a full-time brewer. And so she was the first like kind of second full-time brewer here. And then ever since then we've, um, we've had like a, you know, two person thing where, you know, so I'm the manager and kind of make everything happen. Um, as far as like, you know, all the planning and the scheduling and the recipes and the communication, and then, um, a lot of the, you know, the cellaring work and the, like getting the day-to-day -day stuff done and making sure that the moving parts are happening. Roland is doing, and he's been killing it. You know, he's been doing that for about a year and a half now. Nice. Um, since Val left. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, we have a pretty good system, but that took a while to work out. Like I said, you know, and it was a little chaotic when you had a few people and it was like, okay, on Saturday, you're going to come in, you're going to do a cell count and a dry hop, and then you're not going to work in the brewery again for a week or two. Um, so yeah, it took a while to figure that out. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, getting the brew house dialed. I, I think that it just takes time on a brewery to really learn all the subtle nuances of a, of a brew house and how a brewing system works. And for all of us coming from Paso, essentially working on a much larger scale, it, it took a lot of readjustment mm -hmm. to kind of say, okay, this is the best way to make a small brewery run because there's just some things you can't do. You know, we don't have a filter. We don't have a centrifuge. Uh, yeast management is an issue because we don't brew enough. So it's really difficult to reuse yeast, especially because um, we're brewing a lot of big beers, a lot of heavily hot beers. So, you know, I essentially never repitch yeast here. So yeah. I'm always working on getting yeast from Paso and making sure that the yeast I need is available from them or getting yeast from a lab or, you know, something like that. So 
uh, yeah, there's just a lot of issues and you just figure that out over time. Yeah. It's cool to hear, uh, you know, a brewery like Firestone launching, you know, a smaller brew pub, an R and D facility with all the resources that, that you have. And you still, you know, when you're talking about like pulling a, you know, a bartender or a beer back, a bar back or a busser or somebody into like help out in the brewery. Like that's, it just feels good. That's like, those are like classic brew pub situations, you know, like some, and you can even look at like some really talented brewers in the industry right now that like came up through that system. Um, and it's just so rad to see that like, despite like, Hey, we're a larger brewery and this is our, our smaller facility. Like there's still like just homegrown brew pub roots that, you know, and vibes that come out of that, which is pretty neat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's been great. Um, I love working with Roland here and, you know, he was working in the store and just, you know, handed me a bottle of homebrew one day and said, you know, what do you think? And I, I just think that's such a kind of classic craft beer yeah, yeah. story of like, you know, I was just the homebrewer that wanted to get into it. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, give him a shot and it's worked out really well. And, uh, yeah, there's still those kind of opportunities around, you know, if you, if you're really into it and, um, and it's something you want to do, you know? Yeah. I feel like one of the, um, the big changes, or I, I'd say like, I don't know if I'd call it milestone, but something that has happened. If you look at like the trajectory of six years here, that, canning beers and releasing beers in, in cans, like propagator series releases. Um, I'm not sure exactly when that started. I don't know if that was truly like a COVID thing or if that like happened occasionally before, but I feel like that was a, a changing point in terms of how people outside the brewery experience this location. Is it, was that happening in, during COVID? Did that happen before? Like, what do you think about how, packaging beers that were made here that say, you know, propagator release on it. Like what do those do for this location? What do you think it's done? That was a big push that we had essentially, um, when the first COVID shutdown happened and we knew that we needed to keep brewing beer here and keep making this brewery work. And we weren't exactly sure, you know, what the prospects were for putting more beer in kegs. Yeah. You know, all of our tap rooms were shut down. You know, we have three tap rooms that this brewery supplies. And at that point in time, basically, you know, we would send some beer to events. But other than that, it was all being consumed in-house. And so we basically had to stop brewing for a little bit and try to figure out what we were going to do. And so cans just seemed like the obvious choice to pivot to. And, you know, we weren't the only ones. I think every small brewery that didn't can right. or bottle at that point in time was thinking that they had to do that uh, just to stay in business essentially. And so for us, uh, the stakes weren't quite as high. You know, we knew that, um, you know, worst case scenario, maybe, uh, I'd have to move back up to the production brewery, you know, depending on how things went, but, uh, but we did push to start canning and it, you know, because we're Firestone and we weren't going to do it, you know, in a, in a, not well thought out way, I guess, you know, it, it, we had to be methodical about it make sure that we designed good labels and mm -hmm. that we had the whole system worked out and that we knew exactly how it was all going to work. So it took a little bit longer and it kind of ironically, you know, that 
the shutdown is what pushed us into canning, but we didn't get our first can out until July once the tap room had reopened again. Got it. But at that point, you know, we were thinking, well, we don't know if this is going to happen again. And, you know, and also business wasn't back to where it used to be, you know, right. we were outdoors only we just weren't getting as many people in here. So we weren't going to move the amount of draft beer we were anyway, yeah. um, before the shutdown. So it was a great move. And yeah, we started gen four was the first can release that we did. And that was, um, you know, our anniversary is in April. That's that's when we first opened here, but uh, but you know it was a couple months delayed just because uh, you know of how long it took to get going. On that first batch, you know, yeah, it was it was definitely it was like optimistically I brewed it thinking we were going to be open, and then we had to like let it sit in tank for a little longer because it was like oh we're not going to open, we're not going to open, and then finally it's like okay we're just going to put it in cans, and it all came together, and um, and then yeah we went on I think we did three more releases in 2020. And then last year we kind of hit our stride doing about one a month and that's when it, it really started taking off for us. And I think that as far as how it's changed, yeah, like the, the propagator perception, um, you know, so many more people get to try our beer now, you know, it's like not even, you know, it started in just California, but now there's several other States that allow us to ship. Mm -hmm. So it's all, you know, it's all direct shipped. We don't do any distribution with the cans and most of it's still being sold out of our locations, um, either here at the brewery store up in Paso, mm -hmm. um, and then a little bit at Bearworks. Um, so yeah, it's nice that, you know, people can take that beer home, you know, like, like family members that wouldn't necessarily get down here to try our beer very often. So for 2022, we've kind of switched gears and, uh, all of the can releases this year are going to be collaborations. And, um, so the first release was Steve-O with Russian river and, uh, a current release now just coming out is gen six. And so looking forward, we've got some other great collaboration partners lined up. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that that giving Firestone the capability to do small batch stuff like that has been really cool overall, you know, not just for the propagator, but for the, for the brewery overall, because, you know, we now have the flexibility to do these really small drops of different stuff that we want to work on mm -hmm. and, you know, collaborations we want to do where at the size we're at, especially the way the market's been the last couple of years, it's really difficult for us at, on a larger scale to do small releases Yeah, just with the, how distribution, you know, works for us now. So it's nice to have that flexibility. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's kind of been, uh, I'd, I'd say in an era where can releases have become like a thing, uh, it's, I think giving you guys the ability to like be involved in that. And that's awesome. Like I, I love to see it in, in, your unique way. Like, you know, you said you took the time to like figure out the artwork and the process and how it's all going to happen. And I mean, I think that you guys nailed it. I mean, it's like Firestone's doing like small batch can releases and that probably wasn't something that was on the, on the, um, roadmap in the first year or two. So that's, it's rad to see that unfortunate that COVID had to happen to do it. But, you know, I feel like, you know, most great businesses, some of the best stuff comes pivoting from like, you know, unfortunate situations. So I think another thing that I think is maybe not as big of a milestone, but, um, I think is important here is, you know, in coming, walking through the outside area here, what used to be a parking lot, uh, is now like a really like full fledged patio area. Like it's like large and expansive and there's, uh, I don't know. It looks like there's like a music cage rig set up that like, I don't know if you guys host like 
music or events or things like that. But like the patio seems new and invigorating. And I feel like how do, how does that make you feel in terms of where you're going into year six? I'm super stoked on the new patio. Yeah. That, you know, we shut down the parking lot in between the two buildings and turn it into a makeshift patio yeah. once we reopen summer of 2020. And that was great because it, it was the only way we were going to be open, you know? Um, and so just having, you know, being given that flexibility by the city and, you know, that's, that went a long way, obviously toward, um, making things work here. And that's what we always wanted to, I mean, when we first opened here in 2016, we envisioned that, Oh, we really? were going to have an outdoor space that was initially part of the plan was to build an outdoor patio. Oh. And then we just ran into, you know, permitting issues, parking issues, stuff like that. And, and basically the, the verdict there was that, no, you're not going to get an outdoor space. And so we didn't have one. And you know, it's unfortunate because essentially you can have outdoor year round here yeah. and you know, it just, um, it was really a bummer that we couldn't do the beer garden thing. And that's what we always wanted to do. So basically once we had the, the indication that maybe this was going to become a permanent thing. We were working on it and looking at, yeah, redoing it, redesigning and figuring out how we were going to make it into this cool beer garden that, you know, kind of lived up to the rest of our kind of like design quality and experience that we were, that we try to give people when they visit us. So redoing the patio in the last couple months, you know, taking out the asphalt and putting in paving stones and then getting new furniture, you know, that's just phase one. Um, so phase two, yeah, we're going to have, you know, kind of a, another, round where we're going to get some more, you know, furniture and stuff like that, mm. some more decorations, things like that. It's going to make it seem a little more built up. So right now this is just kind of the first level and there'll be more to come. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like before the, the outdoor area there, like it was a parking lot and it made this place have a very distinct, like, especially when you look at this side with the store, like it felt like a place where you came, you got beer and then you got out. Um, or it felt like a place that brewery employees worked at and it didn't feel like a true consumer experience. Now, I mean, the pub has always been there, but I feel like the patio just goes a long way towards like inviting people in and especially from the street, like the street traffic, um, being able to see everybody out there, like out right now, it's like 90% of the people are sitting outside, um, compared to inside. So it's, it's yeah. awesome to see that, like. Especially the, this old, part of town. the old Ford 805 truck out there That's right. you know, parked right in the yeah. gate so everybody can see that from the road. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome having people outside now yeah. um, because I just think, you know, that's where, you know, people love hanging out outside, playing cornhole, drinking beer. You know, it's like, it's almost become a cliche now, the like kind of cornhole at the brewery thing, but people love it. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we love it too. You know, we had a Firestone Brewers party a few weeks ago up in San Luis Obispo and, part of it was we had a cornhole tournament with all the brewers and you know because everybody loves playing and you know so it's just uh yeah it's you know just people have to come to the brewery hang out and play some games and you can do it all now this episode of hop talk is brought to you by high low liquor market Hilo is one of the best craft beer stores in southern california and is our personal favorite spot for grabbing beers to go or sipping on a flight at the tasting counter their beer buyer Chase has some pretty impeccable taste and is legendary for bringing in some of the most exciting, under-the-radar, hard-to-find, hyped-up breweries in the country. 
Not only are you going to find the latest releases and monthly staples from some of your favorite local spots around SoCal, but you're also going to come across breweries you've only heard about from all different parts of the country. One of my favorite parts about Hilo is the convenience factor. They've got shops in Culver City, Long Beach, and a new one coming in Costa Mesa. You can also order online to pick up or take advantage of their local delivery option if you're not feeling like jumping in the car. Personally, I actually like going into the store. They've got this really cool modern design aesthetic, super helpful staff, and a really welcoming environment that makes shopping for beer an incredibly enjoyable experience. Stay up to date with all their latest inventory on Instagram at Beer, and the next time you're looking to restock the fridge, hit them up. You won't be disappointed. Hilo, drink well. Before this, I was like reflecting on this location and like my experiences with it and everything that kind of like my perceptions of it and what I know about it. And I feel like um, you mentioned this earlier. One of the things I think, you know, when I'm thinking about the the beer program in particular, there's so much that you're doing on that on that's on flowing on the taps right over there. That's like, holy shit! I didn't know Firestone was brewing stuff like this. Um, and when I see uh, 2021, you mentioned this collaborations. Like I'm like. There looks to be like, it's almost like you've amped up collaborations in a way that I've never seen before. Like, I'm sure you did collabs over the years here in some capacity, but I mean, you've done a bunch of really uh, high profile ones just in 2021 so far, right? Or I mean, 2022. Yeah. Um, I mean, starting off, you know, I guess it was the end of last year, but we released it this year doing Steve-O with Russian River. Having Vinny down here was awesome. Yeah. And then... um you know, we actually had Josh Freem down here from Freem Brewing to brew not too long after that in January. And that beer still hasn't been released because that was a, a joint Barrel Works propagator project. Oh. So that's going to be coming out, uh, I believe, uh, next month. Ooh. It'll finally be ready. Yeah, it was a, we did a Saison that we're currently uh, conditioning on Brett. And that's the, the Barrel Works portion of it. Um, so I'm really excited to, to see that come out. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole, you know, the can stuff that, that we still do, you know, um, having Elsa Gundo in here was great. And um, the Maybach with Moonlight Brewing, right. you know, not a, not a can project, but another really fun one to do and a style that we've wanted to do for a long time. It's just, uh, I think, a personal thing for me. Every year, I try to remember to get a Maybach on the schedule. And I think just the last couple of years, you know, for one reason or another, it just doesn't work and we can't yeah. do it. We run out of space. Um, so getting back on that was a lot of fun um, just to kind of get on that traditional style. I, I love the kind of traditional seasonality of lagers and it's always nice to have a style, you know, seasonal appropriate lager on if you can. Um, and yeah, looking forward to more throughout the year for sure. Um, we actually just had a couple guys from the new creature comforts brewery that's opening here in LA. Um, I believe they're hoping for later in the year, but they're just starting construction right now. Nice. And we've been friends with the guys from creature comforts, you know, back in Georgia for a long time. Yeah. And our former head brewer here, Evan, who was here before me, um, is now currently with them. Oh, really? Uh, he's actually from Georgia. Yeah. Oh. And so after working for Firestone for a few years, uh, he decided to move back home. Oh. And, uh, so he's, uh, he's working at their kind of smaller, uh, R and D facility. 
and kind of doing some, uh, some really interesting work there. It's called snow tire. I think it was, it was the first small brewery before they opened their big production brewery. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, connecting with those guys was great. And, um, yeah, we did a really interesting, uh, one for us, a sour IPA, kettle sour, kind of hazy IPA combo. Ooh. And that's a style that we haven't tried to tackle yet, mm-hmm. but they are, you know, one of the kind of expert kettle sour breweries and, you know, they've been making their Athena Berliner Weiss, I think since pretty much when they started. And, um, yeah, they have this great house culture that's like different lacto strains, um, mixed in with some unique stuff, uh, that they've maintained over the years. And I think they said they've been repitching and maintaining it themselves for like eight years which is something that I, I haven't heard of any other brewery doing, wow. um, you know, they may not be the only one that does that, but it's, you know, it's a unique house character for them. And they, um, they were generous enough to send us out a culture overnighted it from Georgia and we were able to prop it up and brew with it here. So I'm really excited to see how that beer turns out. That's right. You mentioned El Segundo. Um, that's the collaboration with the gen six release that we'll dig into in a little bit. Um, I'm sipping on the Maybach collab with uh, Moonlight, and um, what do you have planned? Like, like, I guess what I'll what I'll ask is, how do collaborations fit into like what you're doing here? Is this like a new thing that you're going to do more of? Like, are we seeing like what's to come, or is this like just like an anomaly like for the sixth anniversary? Or what's how do collaborations fit in here? So we always did some, and I think in once we opened it was kind of like you know we went around to our friends in the area basically and just kind of like as as we had time and had the capacity to make it work said okay you know let's brew a beer you know here there you know and kind of try to figure it out um and i think you know we kind of put a pause on that in 2020 yeah and maybe this is us kind of finally rebounding and saying hey we've kind of been missing out on this we need to kind of get back into it right (laughs) um you know not that we I never did any, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're definitely getting back into it. That was just the idea for the year was, you know, Hey, like, why don't we just start, you know, working more with other people because, um, there's so many good brewers around here and, you know, people from out of the area too, obviously, you know, coming yeah. into town can be great. Um, you know, we've actually got green bench from Florida planning on coming in before the invitational brewing with us. Oh, so nice. that's probably going to be the furthest one for us. Yeah. The invitational is always nice because you have some of these friends from out of town that are going to be here. But like the ones that aren't based around an event, I mean, it takes an immense amount of planning and coordination to get this. Like, I feel like some people see like, oh, a collaboration. Great. But it's you have to really think about like it took a lot to make this happen in terms of production schedules and work schedules and life schedules across two different organizations to make it happen and travel and all that. Like. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of work goes into it that like I didn't used to appreciate that. I'm like, shit, man, they took the time to make this happen. Like this is a special thing. It's pretty cool. Um, so when we talk about collabs, like what do you personally get out of it? Cause I, I feel like there's, there's the, there's the idea of like, Hey, it's hanging out with some friends or hanging out with someone that I you know, have met a few times and I, I want to hang out with, there's the actual work part of it. There's the actual like work day to day of all the other things that you have to think about that you can't get to because you're hosting a collaboration. Like what? I mean, right. Like there's like a lot of things that like go on. It isn't just like hang out fun time. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. So like, what do you get out of it at the end of the day when you're like, Hey, we did these collaborations. 
what am I taking away? So yeah, it is a lot of work. And like you're saying that, you know, it's taking away from kind of your normal routine and you're not, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot to devote, especially, you know, um, if you have other people coming down from Paso, you know, it's like when Matt travels down here and we do collabs and, and get everybody involved. It's like, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal. Just, you know, the part, and then obviously, um, you know, if somebody's traveling from far away, this becomes a multi-day thing yeah. where, you know, okay, I'm getting a flight in and then, you know, and then I'm going to brew for a whole day and then, you know, then I'm going to fly out and like, how long is this going to take? And, you know, hopefully you can, you know, see a little bit more of the area while you're here, you know, you like mm-hmm. to kind of tie that into a trip, but, um, yeah, it takes a lot out of everybody. And so, I mean, yeah, there must be a good justification for it, right? Yeah. What do you uh, get? Because there's a lot of work. So I think that you learn a lot because, you know, having somebody come in, you know, and, and we're always working with brewers that we really admire that make great beer that Mm -hmm. we have a lot of respect for. And so, you know, it's a good opportunity to kind of put your heads together and, and share your, your knowledge and your experience with each other and both come away from it, you know, learning a little bit, knowing a little more and, uh, you know, hopefully both benefiting and, um, you know, and that's one of the great things about the beer industry, I think, is that for the most part, you know, we're still willing to have that sort of camaraderie where, you know, there's not very many industries where you have other companies that you're going to do that kind of work with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there definitely are, you know, I mean, music comes to mind right. as one that's, you know, as a standout where musicians love to work together and, you know, I, I'm sure it's kind of a similar thing, but, um, but yeah, with beer, um, you know, it's just. I I think every collaboration, I've learned a couple of new things that definitely make me think, okay, like, you know, now I have a different respect for this one way to approach a style or, or sometimes, you know, we're doing a style that we're not so familiar with. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting and everybody approaches it a little bit differently. Sometimes, you know, the person coming in has a bunch of ideas and a bunch of things they want to try and they're really excited for your brewery. And sometimes you know, they just like, we're just going to make a beer that's both kind of in our comfort zone. And, you know, we just want to hang out and like, just see what the other breweries like you go Mm -hmm. to a brewery and and you don't necessarily have a bunch of ideas. You don't want to tell the brewery what to do. You just, you're like, I just want to hang out and like, you know, kind of see what you do, see how it all works. You know, we all have different breweries, different systems. And, um, you know, and I think brewers just love geeking out on that stuff and just saying like, okay, like how does your louder ton work? You know? And like, Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I never thought, you know, we had a great discussion yesterday just about louder programs and like, you know, how are you running your rakes in your louder ton or, or how are you managing your differential pressure stuff like that? You know, like these just weird technical things that, um, that we love to geek out on. And then, yeah, just, you know, talking about different hot varieties coming up with different combos. You know, I, I think sometimes we get stuck in ruts where we have our go-tos where, you know, um, like, especially when coming up with a lot of new recipes, you're tempted to kind of, you go, okay, I know what works and I'm not going to stray too far from what I think is going to get me a, a great beer. And then sometimes it takes somebody else coming in and saying, oh, you know, this works for me. Um, this is what I would do. And you try something new. And then all of a sudden that kind of opens up a, a new path for you in order to make an, a, a great beer. And so, um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's always productive because, you know, there's this great back and forth of knowledge that you're sharing with each other. And, um, and then, yeah, hopefully we walk away and everyone's better for it, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, and, you know, mostly 
the beers are great. You know, every now and then you mix too many ideas together. And right. You go, okay, that wasn't the best beer we made, but hopefully it was still pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, we had a good time and people enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, took, take something away from it, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like you make the music comparison and, you know, making art and like trying to collaborate from a musician standpoint, like it's not easy to do. Like there's a reason why bands stick together because they learn to collaborate and they have that like vibe that they kind of bounce off each other. When you're like coming in from two different organizations, you almost have to have like one side be like, all right, this is like kind of what we're going to do. And like another side kind of, I don't know. Like I kind of see like the collaboration almost like, like, is there ever a time where it's like, the takeaway that you get after a beer is like the way I do things is right. Like the way that the way that I observe this other brewery doing something like I'm glad I do things my way. Does it like reinforce too? I think it's, it's tricky because everyone that is, you know, successful brewery that's been around for a while that makes great beer has figured out how to make things work for them for them. Yeah. And that's a lot of like brewing is like, yeah, there's the science of brewing and there's the technically correct way based on, you know, opening up a German textbook and seeing, yeah. you know, decades of, of research that have gone into something. But there's also in, in craft beer, especially, you know, in the kind of like modern era of craft beer where styles are evolving so quickly and things are changing so quickly. Everyone is, is really pushing the boundaries of, of what works and figuring out how to make these new flavors. Right. And if you had gone into a brewery, you know, if you hadn't made a hazy IPA like six or seven years ago and you were going to a brewery that had just kind of figured out, you know, out that approach, you might've said, you know, a lot of brewers at the time were saying like, Oh, this is shoddy. I can't believe you're doing this. What are you doing? You mm -hmm. know? And then it turned out that like people just kind of figured out a new way to do things that was a little avant-garde, a little against the grain, but it was making these really compelling flavors. And I think there are limits to that. You know, like, I mean, if it comes to like exploding cans and things like that, you know, sometimes people push it too far. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess you, the proof's in the pudding right. kind of thing where, you know, you, you've got to be able to learn it, you know, even though you might say, well, I wouldn't necessarily do it that way or, you know, oh, we're Firestone Walker. We're this like big production brewery that has a super tight ship where we're very scientific and we have this extensive lab that does all this testing and like, that's all true. But uh, there's always so many great things you learn um, from breweries that do things differently. So yeah, I yeah. think you've just got to come into it with, with an open mind. And yeah, you and you always, you know, you take, you know, you've always got to tease out the proper lessons, I think, from those experiences and say, mm -hmm. okay, here's the things that we could be doing differently. But we can still do that within the context of what we're comfortable with from, you know, from a quality perspective. Yeah. Say. So yeah, it's... Um, it's fun either way, but yeah, right. but sometimes, yeah, obviously you, you go into breweries and you go, oh, wow, like I don't do that, but you make that work. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it surprises you, you know? Right. And I think like, yeah, like I, I get really scared sometimes just because yeah, brewing, I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes into making quality beer as far as like making sure, you know, there's like, oh, I, am I doing it the right way? You know, am I approaching things the best way I can? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need, you almost need someone to give you permission to break the rules. And I think part of working with other brewers is that everyone has figured out, like they've all found the rule they can break that actually works, Yeah, you know, even though like maybe that wasn't in the textbook. Right. And, um, 
and those are the uh, those are the really special tricks that you learn. I think sometimes. Yeah, that's rad. I really like that a lot. Um, when we look at the collaborations you guys have done, and I think what Firestone is known for that you know, if you look at like the Invitational, the reach and the relationships that um, Matt and the Firestone team and the brand has internationally, just. You know, you mentioned Creature Comforts. We mentioned Russian River. Um, for Gen 6, you went local. You know, I was a little surprised that, it, you know, you tend to see, like, breweries from outside the area come in. We see El Segundo come in to uh, collaborate with you guys on this release. Um, tell me, uh, first, talk, introduce what is what is Gen 6 as a beer, and um, how did the collaboration come together? Gen 6 is our 6th anniversary double IPA, and the basic concept of the series so far has been that it all goes back to Gen 1, which was the original first um, new recipe that we worked on here. So the first beer we ever brewed here was Bookie Jack when we opened in 2016, and that was basically, you know, to work out a known recipe on the system to make sure that, that you know, we could hit numbers that, you know, we knew we said, okay, here's the recipe. We're going to scale it as best we can. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to see what we get out of this brew house. Cause any new brewery, you just, you don't even know what your efficiencies are going to be. You know, oh, how strong is your gravity going to be for your word or how many IBUs are you going to get out of it? All that stuff. And so yeah. we had to brew something we knew in order to start doing some tests and figure that out. So then we quickly followed that up with gen six or sorry, gen one. And, um, that was just a new, um, new idea that had been kicking around at the time. And it was all Citra Mosaic and just two-row pale malt and wheat in our house yeast. This really simple recipe. And it was basically where we saw IPA going in 2016. It was kind of where we wanted to go, which was a juicier, um, you know, slightly hazier. It was unfiltered. And so mm. we had a little bit of haze. And it's, you know, the haze is varied. I've brewed some batches where I've specifically pushed the limits of haze without like really making it a hazy IPA, mm -hmm. um, even though like some people would say, okay, now it's just a hazy IPA. Um, but you know, some batches are almost clear, you know, we've, we've just kind of, um, tweaked it over time and it's, it's become this vehicle for kind of playing around with subtle tweaks in a recipe where the beer never changes that much, but it's amazing actually what you can do just by switching like, uh, to a different type of wheat or, you know, doing one slightly different technique and how you do hopping or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I love gen one because of that. And it's a beer that, you know, we mostly have on all the time in some variation. Right now we have the gen and juice variant on, which is kind of the most different variant that we do because we actually use a different yeast strain. We use this, the yeast strain we use for mine haze. So it just kind of has a different character. Um, and then for our anniversaries, we've made double IPA versions. So yeah, gen two was a, a double IPA. Um, and then gen three was actually a triple IPA. Oh yeah. And that was the last brew that was brewed here before I moved down here full time. Oh, okay. And so I actually dry hopped it. It got brewed the week before then I came in and dry hopped it. Hmm. And I remember calling up Evan. He hadn't written the dry hop down on the brew sheet. And I was like, so this triple IPA you just brewed, um, I'm assuming I'm dry hopping it, but I don't see anything written down here. And he was like, Oh yeah, I forgot to write that down. So <laughs> give me the dry hop over the phone and I got it done. Um, and then, uh, for gen four, I, decided not to do a quadruple IPA. I was like, am I going to continue the trend here? Right. Or am I going to kind of switch gears and reimagine kind of what we're doing with these beers? And, you know, we had gotten really into hazy IPAs at that point. So 
for Gen 4, I decided, you know, we're going to go with kind of what I'm stoked on for hazy IPAs right now and different techniques and kind of approach it. So we kind of built off the Gen 1 model, but added on different stuff, changed up the way we approach the hops, changed up the yeast and um, shifted into a hazier uh, direction. And then kind of the same thing with Gen 5 last year. We had just gotten a bunch of New Zealand hops and um, were really stoked on these new varieties that we were working with. And so uh, we kind of did a, a hazy IPA with a New Zealand flair to it. And uh, I think we had some oat malt to it. I was really stoked on oat malt. So I think what's really happened with the series in the last few years has been, it's whatever we're excited about. Yeah. You know, it's like, what am I really fired up on for IPAs over the last year? And, um, and so for this year, I, I saw energy coming back to West coast IPAs. And I think that's something that's happening all over the country right now, where I'm seeing a lot of breweries in other regions that weren't traditionally heavy West coast IPA markets before hazy IPA became popular, kind of discovering West coast IPA again and saying, Oh, these were the beers that, you know, there were a few breweries from California, maybe some of the bigger ones you could get, you know, that were distributed all over the country. Mm -hmm. That was our idea of West coast IPA, right. was like just from the big breweries, those, uh, those old school beers. Yeah. And now there's these breweries saying, Oh, I want to do a West coast. I, not everything needs to be a juice bomb. You know, I'm going to make something a little clear, a little drier. It's funny. They're not all clear. Some of them are still kind of hazy, right? <laughs> but you know, but they're approaching hopping differently. They're adding more kettle hops. The beers are more bitter. They're a little drier. They maybe are brewed with a, a Cal Ale yeast. So they're, they're not so fruity. Um, so as I was seeing that and seeing a lot of breweries in this area too, kind of like saying, Hey, like we're still making West coast IPA and we're seeing sales tick a little bit back up after everyone was drinking our hazies. They're kind of like maybe getting a little burned out on hazies. And I, I don't know, you know, it, the shift into hazy IPA was a very big shift for the market overall. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you look back to kind of before that started, I mean, the market's changed a lot, you know, I mean, our number one IPA is mine haze. Yeah. Know? So for us, it's been a big change. You know, we still have, you know, we have Hopnosis, our new West coast that we just launched this year. That's doing really well. And we're really excited about, but you know, union Jack is pretty old school at this point, mm -hmm. but you know, still has its fans and still, still does pretty decent. Um, so yeah, you know, I think for gen six, we really wanted to get back on a more West coast variant and, when we did Gen 1 originally, even though it was unfiltered and had a little bit of haze to it, you know, at, at its core, it was still, it was just a, a new version of a West Coast. It was just a more modern, you know, yeah. slightly juicier West Coast IPA. So for Gen 6, we just decided not to change it too much and to kind of stick with that model. And then, you know, talking to El Segundo, um, you know, they're just, they're always killing it with West coast IPAs and that's their core passion is, you know, is, is with clear IPAs, even though they do easy IPAs too. And so, yeah, I, when I asked Logan, if he wanted to come over and brew, you know, he was, he was excited to come over and, you know, I was like, you know, here's what we've done in the past. What do you think as far as like, you know, cause I left it open to him. I said, you know, we've done hazy IPAs, you know, we could do a more West coast one, but the idea is that, you know, we take gen one and then, you know, you tell me, you know, kind of what you feel like doing with it and you know we'll kind of use that as a model to riff off of and work on it together yeah and i think yeah he, and he basically said you know our our passion is really in the clear ipas and you know we're kind of stalwarts to that and so i was like okay that's what we're kind of going to go more in that direction then you know i'm not going to promise you it's going to be filtered clear but um but we'll go for it yeah and so that's kind of how we started building on the recipe there that's cool um so before we get into the beer itself, um, tell me a little bit about brew day. So you, before you're kind of back and forth riffing on the recipe, um, 
it comes time to brew this beer, like how did everything go? What was it like? So it was, it was a great brew and, you know, pretty easy because, you know, they're so close, you know, yeah. so we didn't have to deal with all the logistics of finding, getting a hotel, exactly. you know, um, making sure that all lined up. Um, and you know, nothing too exotic really. So when we were planning it out, we just kind of were thinking about what hops we were really stoked on. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of asked him, I was like, Hey, what, what ops do you really like over the last year? What kind of new stuff are you excited about? And the hop that he brought up that he wanted to use in this was Vista. Mm. And Vista is a new USDA publicly developed variety that basically just came out. Like I think last harvest was essentially the first year that it was called Vista that it got out of the development program where it was, you know, just a number. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty stoked on that too. I had, you know, I didn't have much experience with Vista actually. Um, I had heard about it, but we hadn't brewed with it here yet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he gave it such a ringing endorsement that I just thought, okay, we got to use this hop. And he was loving it. Um, you know, throughout another few hop varieties and back and forth. And so the other hop we decided to bring in another new hop is called 1019. And, um, that's, uh, an HBC hop. So the, um, kind of private hop breeding company that's, uh, you know, Yakima chief and Haas, which are two of the bigger hop companies for uh, the brewing industry. They, they kind of manage that company. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, we were going back and forth on that and just getting those two hops in house wasn't too bad. Uh, we were able to get those from our suppliers. So, um, it all came together. Everything was here. Um, and yeah, he came by, um, with a couple other, the brewers and you know, it's like, it's interesting how those brew days go sometimes because, um, you know, it's a lot of just hanging out, you know, there's a lot of downtime brewing, but right. also, you know, they got in there and they helped out and, you know, we got a good pick of him, uh, graining out up on the website right now for the, for our blog. For oh, nice. So, you know, he got in there and did some work. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, pretty much went off without a hitch, you know? Awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, all said and done, um, you know, there wasn't, uh, wasn't anything terribly, um, difficult about, you know, Bruna, I think we got double IPAs pretty dialed, you know, right. That's a good thing about knocking out double IPA is like you get, you know, and they've brewed so many double IPAs at El Segundo over the years that, you know, he, he kind of guided us into, okay, here's, you know, what we like to see and here's the kind of numbers we like to hit. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of tried to push things in that direction, mm-hmm. even though our brew houses are different. You know, we have a German style brew house with a mash mixer. They have a single infusion, more English style brewery. Um, so we kind of had to like do some changes there, but they were stoked on being able to kind of see, okay, here's like basically what isn't that different than, uh, one of our recipes. I mean, the way we ended up tweaking it, it kind of could have been an El Segundo beer other than a couple things. Really, yeah. I mean, we used our house yeast, our Firestone Walker, um, you know, kind of traditional yeast that we use for all our West coast and for like eight Oh five, um, which is, um, you know, slightly fruitier English yeast. So, you know, they use an American ale strain that's cleaner and a little bit drier. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, it's not, it's not too terribly different. So it's, I think it's interesting for them to come in and see, okay, here's how a beer turns out with just a couple tweaks based on what we would have done. Um, and then I get to kind of see what do bringing in, you know, if I'm going to bring in a a couple of El Segundo, um, kind of like specific ways to approach a recipe, how does that change? What otherwise would have been a more normal beer for us? Yeah. So it's kind of subtle, but that's, that's kind of the cool part of working on a style that, um, that both breweries do well. And that you both uh, are really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because, you know, you kind of get to see what the subtle differences make versus if you did something really wild, you just don't, you don't really have any idea. You're like, this is a weird beer. I had no idea how this is going to turn out. Right. So I think, you know, you learn a lot from beers like, like this. Like the actually. sour IPA type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like we'll see, we are both, you know, and strange, <laughs> I mean, not to, I guess it's a little bit of a tangent, but they've actually never brewed a sour IPA. Oh, really? Even despite um, having tons of um, experience doing kettle sours. Oh, wow. That's one that they said they hadn't done. Oh, that's cool. And I don't know. Maybe they're just forgetting that they did it back in the day. I find it hard to believe that they've never tried it, but right. were, you know, <laughs> at least never a full release. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so for Gen 6, before we jump into it, uh, do you think it came out more of a Firestone beer, more of an El Segundo beer, or is it truly like right in the middle? It more might be a, hard for you to answer. But. More of a Firestone beer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's because of the yeast. Okay. And that's just such a, such a signature character for us. Yeah. And I think that the reason, yeah, a beer like Union Jack was always unique among California IPAs was that it had our signature yeast character. And also, you know, our, our approach to water, you know, we always use pretty soft water. We have an RO system. Um, and then maybe... I don't know I, the specific ways we approach hopping, maybe not too different, but I think the yeast character for sure is always going to make a difference. Yeah. It didn't turn out quite as dry as they had hoped. You know, they were hoping for this like super dry finishing gravity and I did everything I could, but our yeast just doesn't go to the same place their yeast does. Mm-hmm. And I think that that roundness that you get and that, that slight fruity character, um, it just kind of gives us the kind of signature profile. So it's hard to get away from. I don't think there's any mistaking it. You know? Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, you want to crack open the can and we'll try it. We have a little bit we can give to Mark too. It's clear beer. Right. I mean, it cleared yeah. up. Wow. Massive aroma. So, yeah, I mean, fruity for sure on the, on the aroma. Yeah. I think this is a super cool hop. It reminds me a lot of Citra. Um, maybe somewhere between like Citra and Strata. It's got a little bit of that too, where it's just these really interesting kind of like pink grapefruit, tropical fruit vibes, maybe a little bit less and not quite like mosaic. Um, I just feel like mosaic so distinctive. Yeah. But, um, but it definitely plays well with those hops and kind of plays in that same space. Yeah. Um, and then there's ultra, there is citra mosaic in this beer. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the base since, you know, we, with gen one, we're always starting there and then kind of building off of that. Um, and, um, something we did, we approached a little bit differently on this one too, is we've been using more mosaic cryo and that was something that we brought in for hopnosis. And that's kind of signature part of that dry hop. And the cool part of cryo is it lends itself really well to early dry hops and like start of fermentation dry hops because you're fermenting on less vegetal matter since the cryo process is basically refining out just the plant material and you're getting just more of the pure lupulin. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we added the first dry hop right at the beginning of fermentation. So we gave it that kind of whole fermentation for the yeast to kind of you know, do as much biotransformation as it could and kind of like tease out some more of the, the kind of subtle fruitiness out of those mosaic hops. And it, I think it softens it up a little bit. So you don't get as, as big of the kind of, uh, in your face dank punch that you can get from mosaic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting the grapefruit pretty big, um, which I really like. It's really nice, but it's, I mean, you, we were talking last time it was, you guys are really into the hop blends. Like just there's a lot going on hop wise here that 
for someone like myself that maybe not as refined of a palette, I'm just like, this is taking me in a lot of different directions. Like, it's not like, oh, I taste this one thing. It's like, holy shit. Like I'm tasting a lot of things and I'm not sure where to put my finger on anything. Yeah. In a good way. In like a really good way. It's cool. It's like there's citrus in it, but it's, I wouldn't call this like citrus forward. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's very tropical, but I wouldn't, if you called it a tropical IPA, I don't know if it really fits that either. So it's got a great bitterness to it. It's, it's got a, you know, it's not like you were saying, it's not as dry as maybe El Segundo wanted it to be, but it's really not that fruity or round or sweet. Like it's, it's, it's really, really well done. I really like it a lot. I think the 1019 hop is kind of the wild card in there. Yeah. So like, yeah, you know, already kind of explained Vista and how I, I think, you know, the stuff that we're getting from that, but 1019 was a hop that I hadn't seen at all before the harvest last year when we went to Washington. Yeah. And it was the number one hop, uh, when we visited the, um, the kind of like experimental hop plot, uh, with one of our suppliers. Um, and they were like showing us what they were stoked on for the year. And they were just like, this is the hop coming out of, out of the program right now that we're really excited for. And we're kind of fast tracking it. Like usually these hops take longer to come through the system Mm -hmm. and you see a hop, you know, something like uh, Sabro, you know, we probably saw for like three years until they finally decided to release it. And like every year it's like, we were like kind of intrigued and Mm -hmm. we're like, what are we going to do with this hop? You know? And then, and then it finally came out. Um, but yeah, I, we'll see where this one goes, but they basically were like, this went from like, you know, a hop we kind of just discovered among, you know, the thousands of seedlings they do every year to like, this is a hop that we're blowing up and we want to push to everybody because we're so excited about it. And I think they're, they're kind of the way the, the breeding has been going with new hops, you know, people are starting to get a little bit burned out on new hop varieties, right? Like, yeah, it seems like there's so many hop varieties now. It's hard to keep track of. I mean, when I started as a brewer, I just feel like there were so many less, you know, this was pre, you know, Citra was the new hop, I guess, at the time. That was right. the new one everybody was using. Uh, but Mosaic hadn't even come out yet. And um, so, yeah, so 1019, it's kind of, yeah, you know, when they're that excited about it, you kind of got to take notice. And I think it, it adds a little bit, yeah, a lot of that tropic kind of just vibe you get out of it and the kind of complex fruit, I think, is coming from that. And, um, you know, there might even be like a very subtle hint of that kind of like coconutty vibe too, that kind of adds to the tropicalness. It's not that, like yeah. a Sabro necessarily, yeah. or even like a Talus, but there's a little something there. And it's hard to describe. I was thinking when I was tasting it and I was, I I'll say it, I was a little nervous to say anything just because coconut can be really polarizing, but I was, I felt like I was getting it, but not like Sabro where like it's actual coconut. It's almost like coconut through the like husky shell you know where it's like it's got kind of like a little earthiness to it it's not like sweet artificial coconut type of thing yeah that suntan lotion vibe that you know it's very polarizing right (laughs) you know sometimes i like it but um you know i think sabro this is like a single hot beer can actually work but you know when you add it to a lot of blends it it has just enough of that character that a lot of people don't like it i understand that for sure yeah yeah, this is really cool. I like it a lot. Um, before we jump off Gen 6, the can design itself, uh, the artwork is sick. I think, and, and I think the series itself does have um, 
a tradition in having a really like interesting uh, aesthetic. So do you guys bring in the same artists for that? Or like, what's the deal with, can you tell me anything about this year's design? Yeah. Let me, uh, let me go. So, yeah, I think, you know, the way we've approached these so far is that we want to get the vibe of Venice on there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year specifically, you know, El Segundo isn't too far down the road. It's also a beach town in LA, you know, we're not that different. So yeah, it's like, you could kind of have a, a, a nice natural crossover there where they kind of have their own aesthetic. So we tried to pull in a little bit of that and kind of just like, you know, definitely rep the beach vibes. Um, and the artist that we are working with Nachi, she actually did gen five. Okay. Um, and she did a, a few for us last year. And so, um, it's great that she's, um, become one of the, our go-to label designers and she's awesome. Um, and I just, I love her style. And so, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, pulling in that kind of like just basic, you know, beach town, LA, you know, kind of get all hit all the points there and, um, and do it in a cool way that just kind of like says that, you know, this is the propagator, this is Venice and you know, this is where we're from. Yeah. It's dope. I mean, I feel like you can make a print of that and that would look really cool up on a wall too. That's really neat. Yeah. I think we actually just today we got shirts into that. Oh really? Kind of, it's a modified version of the design. Oh sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, so as we, move into wrapping up this conversation. There's one thing that's like very tangential that I wanted to ask you. And it's like right now, and I was just talking, I was just talking to Mark about this, uh, this morning. It's like the world is opening up and we're like starting to do things that like we couldn't do for two years and it feels awesome. Uh, it feels a little weird, but it feels pretty awesome. Um, and I feel like beer travel is, a thing in the, in this world, right? Are you into traveling for beer? Do you have any beer trips that you have planned or anything that kind of like is on your bucket list that you would want to do? I know we're both new dads, so that's kind of a weird question, but maybe in like three years or something like that. Definitely. Um, so I am planning on going over to Germany later in the year. Oh, nice. And that's something that, um, Firestone does for employees that have, have been with the company for 10 years. And so, uh, that was actually last year for me, but we didn't go last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the year before, so we have like, it's now three years stacked up of people that have hit 10 years. So we have a pretty good crew <laughs> that's going to go Nice. and we're going to go to Oktoberfest and, uh, some other stuff there. Wow. So I'm really excited for that. So I kind of have that built in and, um, and since it's been a long time coming, I should be able to go to That's that. Cool. Uh, I, my wife's going to be accommodating there. So I'm, I'm lucky about that. Nice. Um, but you have, have you been to Germany before? A couple of times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually I went to Oktoberfest when I was in college okay. and that was one of my first big beer experiences that kind of turned me on to beer culture. Really? And I was just like, Oh, this is amazing. This is, this is weird mm-hmm. and insane, but it's really cool. And, uh, whatever, you know, culture produced this, I need to learn more about, you know, that it was definitely one of those moments where I just thought like this whole, yeah, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, you know? And I, I, I'd never been to like an American version of an Oktoberfest before then either. So I didn't have that, like maybe tainting my idea of it or something like that, you know? And so actually having my first like 
real thing be the real deal when I was 20 years old, I think was pretty eye opening. Um, so I'm really excited to go back. Yeah. That's but awesome. beyond that, I think I would just love to, you know, to travel to some places that I haven't been before. Um, maybe South America, Mexico. Um, I'd love to go to Mexico city and you know, there's so many breweries down there now and there's just a lot of cool stuff going on. And I, I just think that, um, that the cool thing about, yeah, like as craft beers, like gone around the world is you, you know, it's not, you don't even have to plan beer trips to like beer places anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can go almost anywhere and check out the brewing scene and, you know, see some interesting stuff. That's not necessarily, you know, just traditional beer and, you know, the traditional stuff's great. And I've, I've been able to do a lot of that already. Um, you know, I mean, I would love an opportunity to go back to Belgium or see a lot of more of England, you know, um, there's still a lot of stuff in England that I haven't seen, Ireland, you know, um, a lot of traditional brewing stuff. I, I think most brewers probably at some point they, they want to visit like all the traditional brewing areas and like see what those breweries are actually like, you mm-hmm. know, like go to the Czech Republic, like see Pilsner or Kell, um, you know, like where did lager come from kind of thing, you know, and like see what the origins are and all that, yeah. or, you know, drink, um, cask beer in England, you know, at a pub and how it's supposed to be. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm always down for all those. I think they're, you know, they're always good learning experiences and, um, and also like the reason they've endured and the reason I think that they're compelling for us here is because they're cultures that like they develop naturally over a long period of time to be like, you know, it's all about like the social aspect of it, right? Like mm-hmm. going to a pub, going to the beer hall, um, beer being part of a traditional culture. And, you know, in some ways in craft, we're kind of grasping at that, you know, and everything we're doing here with the breweries and like, with you know, having the games and having the beer garden outside and everything like that. It's like, we're all trying to create this culture where people come together and have a good time and is like, you know, an enriching, happy part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's cool to, to go to some places that have been doing kind of the same thing forever and, um, and see how they do it. Cause you always learn something from them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting thinking about like. Yeah. Traditional beer culture or then just traveling somewhere that like doesn't have that or, you know, isn't like known for that and like figuring that out and finding it and discovering it. Um, One of the inspirations behind that question was like, um, you know, I follow you on social media. I I noticed that you took a trip uh, recently um, to New Orleans. Right. And that you did some beer hopping around there. So my question is, what's it like on a non-beer trip, on a non-work trip? You're just like Sam, the guy. Yeah. Going to breweries, like, are you able to, like, disconnect from, like, the brewer part of your brain and just be like, I don't know, having a good time with your buddies? Or, like, are you also thinking, like, oh, I wonder how they did that? Or, you know, I don't really where's the logger here? Like, you know, like what's, uh, what's, what's that look like for you? Yeah. Uh, I can't disconnect. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> no, yeah. No, the good part, you know, going on trips like that is there's plenty of non brew stuff that happens too, yeah, yeah. you know? And so you get that, but, um, I'm I lucky. saw you drinking like a, like a smoothie seltzer, I think, um, on somewhere at one of the breweries and it was like, Oh, that's what, that's what yeah. you decided to order. And it's like, I wonder if that was like, like what was the impetus behind that? It's like trying to explore and discover and see what other people are doing. Like, so shut, not being able to shut off that work brain is, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. I know I'm glutton for punishment with the smoothie stuff, I guess. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you go somewhere, um, 
especially another area that maybe does things a little differently or other styles are, are trendy or popular. I, I think you've got to, even if they're not styles you usually drink or usually like, you've got to give them a try because, yeah. you know, there's a reason that they're popular there and you, th- there's always something to be learned from it. You know, um, I don't always enjoy them all, but right. you know, the great thing, I mean, you know, just speaking to Orleans specifically, I mean, you know, we went to a few breweries there that were great and made some really cool beers. Um, really great loggers. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, I love that, that, um, I think that the, the trend to balance drinkable quality beer is like unstoppable everywhere mm-hmm. as an industry matures, that there's always going to be a lot of stuff on the margins and a lot of trends that come and go that are captivating to people that are maybe, um, dipping their toes into beer and their flavors that can bring people in, you know? And so, you know, we make, we, you know, just Firestone makes a lot of different beers that, mm-hmm. you know, aren't, it's not all brewers beers, you know? Um, even though I think, you know, 805 is a flagship is a very classic beer in many ways. And, um, you know, is a beer that, you know, we all have a lot of respect for and can all get behind. But, um, but you know, the, the beer that everyone wants to drink, every brewer that comes here, you know, which one, what do you think it is? Uh, it's Pivo. Yeah, yeah. it's Pivo. So, you know, that's the, that's every time, every time. Uh, it's Pilsner. So, yeah. um, so if I can get a good Pilsner, you know, traveling to another brewery, that's always a great sign. I had a couple of great Pilsners there on that trip. So that was all good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you know, the smoothie stuff, um, I learned a lot from. Yeah. And so, you know, and it was all fun. It was all good. So it was a brewery that I see that is known for them, right? Uh, urban South. Yeah. That was, urban South. Yeah. yeah. So like you kind of have, I mean, if you're able to go, you kind of have to just like see what's going on. Right. You know, oh, see yeah. what's going on in places like that. Um, Cool. Yeah. Sorry to put you on blast, but I had to, I had to dig into the personal thing and see where your head was at. Yeah. Um, cause I know for me, I'm, I'm, I find that difficult at times. It's easier for me to shut the work brain off and just like chill. But you know, whenever I'm at a brewery with friends it, like that aren't in the industry, it tends to like be me like, I don't know, fussing a little bit over what I'm getting and, uh, how good it is and things like that. So I figure as a brewer, as someone that, you know, like, do you find yourself like not dumping, but like not drinking the beer and, and sending it back, not sending it back, but like ordering another beer and you know what I mean? Never send it back. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, unless it's, uh, no, that's actually not true. So I have when, there's been like an obvious technical issue with like, you know, um, fly in the lines. I, I got uh, just an example. I, I got a beer at the airport. Um, it was just hearing about a hazy little thing. Yeah. And the can was, the rim was like dented, like somebody had dropped it. Uh-huh. And then when I opened the beer, it was completely flat. Oh yeah. And then, so I know, oh, okay. They compromised the seam. I mean, this is just, you know, this is no fault of the brewery. Right. Somebody just mishandled this beer. So, you know, I just politely tell the, the waitress when she came back, Hey, you know, um, there's something wrong with this can. I think, you know, it's, and this beer's flat and okay, I'll get you another one. Whatever, yeah. You know, stuff like that. So, you know, I'm that's not, fine. You yeah. know, sometimes you've got to just, yeah, put yeah. that out there, but, totally. um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I think you've just got to, you got to see it as like a, a mission of exploration right? and you're learning something no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, even if you don't enjoy every beer you try, um, you know, hopefully you get something out of the experience and I have to, you know, hand it to my friends that I travel with and they're not like Uber beer guys. But they're down to go to breweries. And, you know, I think back in the day, like, I was the weirdo for wanting to go to breweries, you mm-hmm. know, back when that wasn't common. But craft beer has gotten to the point where I think 
you know, most normal people, at least my age have kind of like come up, you know, lived, you know, if you're, you know, I'm kind of in the middle older side of millennial, I guess I'm 35. So mm -hmm. I just feel like my adult life has been the progression of kind of craft beer becoming mainstream and becoming normal. Totally. And, um, and so it's not weird or anything. It's just kind of a normal thing you do now, Yeah. you know, and, um, and we can all go out and have a good time and enjoy a beer. And I guess no one needs to fuss too much. And, you know, and I just kind of, I, I turn off half of it and enjoy it, but then the other half of my brain is always on and it's always thinking about it. Yeah. Hopefully not, <laughs> hopefully not too much so I can still enjoy myself. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for, uh, for beer travel to keep coming back and, uh, coming back to Venice here, like in a great spot for beer tourism here in Los Angeles, like pretty close to LAX, um, for people coming in to Los Angeles and also on your way out. It's like, so, I mean, that and El Segundo are like two great places near the airport and, and three weavers to hit up, um, before you're in and out. So, um, in closing, and I should have this information off the top of my head, I'm going to throw it to you. You might not have it off the top of your head. The sixth anniversary party is happening April 30th. Um, do you know what's going on? Do I need to pull up the details? It's not too intense. Okay. So Yeah. We're just going to have uh, a DJ playing some, you know, music and outside we're going to, you know, we got the Santa Maria style grill. We're going to be grilling out nice. on the patio and, um, and yeah, just have some food specials and, you know, plenty of beer flowing and, Sweet. you know, yeah, just kind of come on down and just have a little, you know, it's nothing too intense, just kind of a laid back uh, afternoon party. Enjoy so. this patio. You know, it's, it's a great place and we're having particularly today, like one of those just perfect LA weather days. Like it is amazing to be out there right now. And, um, hopefully on the 30th, it will be the same. So, uh, if you're listening to this before then get on over to Firestone and celebrate six years with those guys. Uh, Sam, this is awesome. Thanks so much for sitting down, catching up with me. Um, so rad to see what you're doing here at Firestone and kind of shepherding, um, this R and D program and, uh, I think making, uh, how do I want to say this? I feel like what you do contributes a lot to help make Firestone really exciting, really interesting, uh, which is super important in today's beer age when everyone's looking to the next big thing. Um, Firestone's got a lot of history, a lot of legacy with a, just a, ton of quality all throughout the portfolio and the piece that you get to touch is super important and um I, I feel like it's never been better so i'm really excited to see like what you have coming up for the rest of this year and we'll uh we'll have to schedule in the calendars another sit down before uh gen 7 comes out sounds great yeah <laughs> cool brother all right talk yeah, to you later great. And that does it for this episode of Hop Talk. I always love having a chance to catch up with Sam. He is one of the most passionate and hardworking brewers I know. And that work ethic really shows in the quality of beers that Firestone Walker is putting out. If you enjoyed this chat, do us a favor and share this podcast with a friend. The more we can grow, the more consistent we can be with putting out more rad podcasts just like this one. Have a suggestion for a future guest? Hit us up on social media at HopDLA 
or shoot us an email at hello at hopped.com. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our free email newsletter where we send out all the latest beer news, releases, events, guides, videos, articles, giveaways, and more right to your inbox each week. You can sign up at hopped.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.